This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, August 8th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams. Later this hour, a trip back to the hot springs of the 1960s. There were slot machines, there were backroom deals, and a very public debate about whether the gambling in that city that was happening should be legalized. Randy Dixon will be our guide for the trip. And her passport, a collection of archives and interviews about gambling in hot springs provided by the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. That's ahead. But first, the Annie E. Casey Foundation today released the 2022 National Kids Count Data Book. And the data does not paint a very good picture for children in Arkansas. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore spoke with the team at Arkansas Advocates for Children and Families about the data, their policy suggestions, and their response to the state legislature's special session priorities. Arkansas ranks in the bottom quarter for child well-being, economic well-being, health, as well as family and community, according to the latest data from the Annie E. Casey Foundation's National Kids Count data book. The report clearly shows that Arkansas is a harder place for a child to live and thrive than almost anywhere in the country. That's Rich Huddleston, the executive director for Arkansas Advocates for Children and Families. He says the state is worse than the national average in 11 of the 16 indicators. And one of those key indicators is child poverty. More than one in five Arkansas children, that's 152,000 Arkansas children, continue to face greater obstacles created by poverty. And research clearly shows that poverty has a negative impact on child health, brain development, school performance, and their future earning potential and job prospects. And as a state, it weakens our future workforce and economy. One area where Arkansas fared slightly better was in education, but still ranked at 34th in the nation. Olivia Gardner is the director of education policy for the group, and she says one predictor of whether a student is prepared for high school and secondary education is eighth grade math scores. On the latest NAEP exam, 73% of Arkansas's eighth graders scored below proficient in math, compared to 67% nationally. To put it succinctly, the data shows that Arkansas is struggling to provide for its children. Arkansas Advocates for Children and Families also does work to provide policy recommendations to state leaders and legislators. Olivia Garden again. The mental health crisis does not just impact our state children at home. It impacts how they show up at school, how they learn, and how they perform throughout the day. Addressing this crisis will improve educational outcomes for our students. Gardner also says improving teacher salaries and raising wages for teachers will help in recruitment and retainment of quality educators in the state. As we've reported before on Ozarks at Large, the Arkansas General Assembly is beginning their special session to address the more than $1.6 billion budget surplus tomorrow, August 9th, but has chosen not to put any of that money towards long-term teacher pay raises. The only topics Governor Asa Hutchinson has put on the call are tax reform and school safety. Maricela Garcia, the Race Equity Director for Advocacy, says using money to provide more armed security in schools has not proven to be a good use of money. I can speak to other states that we know have worked on hardening and spent great deals amount of money on this. For example, Georgia hasn't really improved any indicators in terms of school safety. So I think there are better choices and better ways to spend the money to protect children and make things safer. But in terms of have we seen any places that have done that and it's been successful, we have not. Rich Huddleston, again, the executive director, says that recent efforts by the legislature to redirect the use of ARPA funding towards teacher bonuses instead of for infrastructure or better ventilation is an effort to deflect pressure. And if you do look at some of the individual comments of some Republican lawmakers, I mean, they will clearly um, acknowledge that teacher salaries do need to be raised. For some of them, um, it is a question of when we do it, and I know some would rather do it Uh, After the ongoing uh, educational adequacy study is released uh, this fall, but really they want to push that off until January, uh, if at all. Laura Kellams is the Northwest Arkansas director and says the organization plans to share the data with lawmakers today and that cutting taxes will directly impact their work. 
lawmakers in Arkansas might not want to frame upcoming tax cuts as something that's a choice between children's programs and tax cuts, but we see it very much in that light. Every time we cut revenue while our state's programs for kids are underfunded, we're making a choice between tax cuts for wealthy Arkansans and the children of Arkansas who obviously don't have the programs and resources and opportunities that they need to reach their full potential as long as we have these indicators that stay the same as we've been saying. The special session for the Arkansas State Legislature begins tomorrow. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Matthew Moore. One of those voices included in Matthew's story, Laura Callums. Yes, she is my wife, and she is the director of the Northwest Arkansas Office of Arkansas Advocates for Children and Families. I had nothing to do with the assigning, the writing, or the editing of that story. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. The 2022 Roots Festival presents Restaurant Takeovers, Friday, August 26th, and Saturday, the 27th, as nationally recognized chefs take over local restaurants. Friday at Arcega's at the Mill, Saturday at Atlas Restaurant, and both days at 641 Deli. For the full culinary lineup of this year's festival, and for tickets, FayettevilleRoots.org. A quick reminder, there is much more to 91.3 KUAF than what you hear on 91.3. For example, we have an entire slate of original podcasts produced inside the Carver Center for Public Radio. Podcasts like Undisciplined, Resilient Black Women, Points of Departure, and The R Word. You can find those podcasts at KUAF.com. We also have a 24-7, never-stopping classical music station. That's KUAF 2. And we have KUAF 3, which highlights jazz and gives you encore broadcasts of our locally produced music programs. KUAF 2 and KUAF 3 are available for free on your HD radio, whether it's at home or in your car. Also, by going to the streams at KUAF.com, by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF2 or please play KUAF3, or you can use the absolutely free KUAF app for iPhone and iPad. This is a businessman. His business is organized crime. His products include gambling, narcotics, vice, loan sharking, Stolen goods, labor racketeering, and goons for hire. If you're a regular Monday listener and you hear something like that, you probably know Randy Dixon with the <laughs> David and Barbara <laughs> Pryor Center had something to do with us playing it. That's an FBI training film, Randy From Dixon? the 60s, yeah, uh, for agents. And um, it's specifically about gambling, which is what we're going to be talking about this week. All right, so if it's gambling and we are, and you are with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History, it's going to point us to Hot Springs. Absolutely. Um, and I've, I've found some great stuff yeah. in the archives. You know, I I probably almost every week will say, this is a good one. Mm-hmm. I think this is a good one. And we'll see if it passes the Pitcock test. Jim Pitcock. The news director for years. He listens every week. He's down in Little Rock. But he's sure to get on online because all these are streamed right uh, on the KUF website and the the Prior Center website. Absolutely. So I'll see if it okay. passes the test. Well, Hot Springs is this amazing, fantastic, legendary, complicated place. Yes. Well, Bill Clinton grew up there. Gangsters used to stop in there on a regular basis. Uh, Al Capone. Owen Meany. Oni Madden. Oni Madden, right. Yeah, and we'll be talking about him later. Yeah. But um, we're talking about, you know, gambling in the spa city, but particularly in the 60s, -hmm. just because that's where the wealth of uh, television coverage is. Also, I, I know you've read it. Uh, it's a book called The Vapors that mm-hmm. came out to great reviews uh, a couple of years ago. And I've been wanting to do this story for a while, and it just sort of, sort of all came together uh, in this new batch of material that we have had digitized. So the author of that book, um, 
he's the national writer who, who's from Hot Springs. David Hill. David Hill, yes. Um, I caught up with him last week. He was on the West Coast, and I wanted to get sort of the backstory that leads up to where we're going to go here in the 60s, and this is what he had to say. Around 1950, there were a lot of gambling towns in America. You know, Hot Springs wasn't the only one, um, although Hot Springs was one of the bigger ones. Um, but there was a uh, Senate investigation into organized crime, and uh, they 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 were trying to um, uh, shut down the mob by closing down their source of income, which was gambling for the most part. They sort of barnstormed the country, closing down all these gambling towns around America. But, um, you know, what made Hot Springs unique and the reason that Hot Springs got so large and and sort of outlived all the other gambling towns in America was that they never came. They never investigated Hot Springs. It sort of um, it sort of um, uh, was able to walk between the raindrops, so to speak, when it came to the series of Senate investigations into the mob and gambling. And, you know, and that's because of the. influence of uh of senator mcclellan who chaired the uh the latter half of that committee who was mm-hmm. senator from arkansas and who was pretty well connected with a lot of the gambling leaders there much to the ire of you know much to the consternation of the um the mob around the around the rest of the country who were really jealous that hot springs was able to continue to operate um, while the rest of them were getting scrutinized. We're, ta- we're concentrating on gambling in Hot Springs in the 1960s. The governor for most of the 1960s was Orville Favis. Yes, and you know, I had heard this for years, you know, from, from the people who covered uh, the governor back in the 60s um, that he was taking money. And I had always heard it as a rumor. It's in David Hill's book. So um, I asked him about what Faubus did and what kind of price they had to pay. Oral Faubus was always involved in the sense that he, you know, there was a series of governors over the course of the time that there was gambling in Hot Springs that either were supportive or weren't supportive. You know, the governors, when the whole, the whole kind of combination only worked if the governor was willing to not send in the state uh police to shut it all down and so um the periods of time where there was no gambling in hot springs was because there were governors that were not playing ball Fabus always played ball from the very beginning with the gamblers in hot springs and they paid him handsomely to not send the state troopers in um they they delivered him money uh on a regular basis as sort of payoffs and does stories or that he used that money to build his house up on the mountains and his vacation home and uh in his own pockets yeah so he um he he took a lot of money from the gamblers and he rewarded them by uh kind of towing this line that he was going to stay out of hot springs affairs that it was a local a local issue and not a state issue and that's really all they needed from him or any other governor was just to say i'm you know I'm not in it. It's, uh, it's between them. What's really interesting with the archives you have, because the Prior Center has talked to a former FBI agent yes, about Hot we, Springs. Yes, we do long-form interviews with our Kansas, and this is from a Prior Center interview, uh, I believe from uh, 2008, with uh, former FBI agent Floyd Thomas, who was actually assigned to Hot Springs during the 60s, and he has this story that I found um, that confirms uh, what David Hill said. We're getting back to the money from Hot Springs over there. This car would pull up at Santa Southern Club, and this guy come out in a box. And there's a state police car. Car blown to Starkville State Police, unmarked car. An unmarked state police vehicle. And it would go from there to the governor's mansion in Little Rock. Didn't didn't check on it every day, but a lot of times the guys that leave Hot Spring, the guys Little Rock checking, they'll go to Governor Match. And so, you, all, you all had a surveillance uh, so that you knew this was happening. Yeah, we knew, knew it was going there. But, but you know, it's not against law to drive money down the highway, and yeah. uh, and even if it was bribery going on, there had to be some interstate aspect involved. We get involved in it. 
All right, that is from a long-form Pryor Center interview. So that's more recent. Right. Uh, and so he lived through that time down in Hot Springs when, when all that illegal gambling was going on. Favis was governor for most of the 60s. He wasn't at the end of the decade. That's when Republican Winthrop Rockefeller takes office. That's right. And there was really kind of no clear indication as to what uh, he was going to do. And it kind of varied from governor to governor as how they were going to handle this situation. And it was usually going to involve uh, the state police. But Here's a 1967 interview with Jim Pitcock. He was interviewing uh, Rockefeller shortly after he took office and asked him about the gambling issue. Yes, I've read in the paper that gambling has reopened in Hot Springs. Uh, uh, when I know more about the subject, then I can take a position whether I think it is a, a test or not. But as of the moment, uh, uh, it hasn't been brought to my attention on the basis of uh, an affront to, to public feeling. If this is brought to your attention, will you use uh, the state police investigative agency to go over and look the situation over? Yes, I've always taken the attitude, and I certainly proved it by taking my oath of office that I'll enforce the law. The law does not permit open gambling. Neither, however, will I plan to divert the state police from its uh, basic uh, assignment to investigate every rumor that I hear about in terms of gambling. We're talking about gambling and hot springs in the 1960s on <laughs> this week's Prior Center Profile. So um, there had been a gambling measure to legalize gambling in 64, and it barely lost the votes in the House and the Senate. Um, so there were... Sides, very strong sides for for both, you know, for and against. And here is an example, um, 1967 interview with Father Thomas McVeigh Smith, and he addresses the dangers that illegal gambling had for the youth of Arkansas. Talking about mainly teenage uh, drinking, intoxicants by minors, and I'm talking again about 14, 15, 16, up to 20 years old. I'm talking about prostitution with teenagers, and then there are narcotics. However, that is not my field. None of this is my field. I've been dragged into this by uh, people challenging me, parents, telling me to put my money where my mouth is. All right, let's bring in one of my favorite Arkansas history names. Just oh. like to say this name. State Senator Q. Byram Hurst. Yes, prominent attorney. Yes. He introduced a bill in 67. He was from Hot Springs, mm -hmm. wanted to take care of his constituents, introduced a bill that would legalize gambling. Um, so here's an interview with Q. Byram Hurst Sr. Uh, from the archives about the bill he's introducing. The people of my county feel that we have a health resort, the greatest health resort in America, they feel that this type of legislation will be of great benefit to them. We have had an experience in the past, of course, of, with a rather liberal enforcement of the law, but we haven't uh, been able to get that same type of enforcement the last couple of years. Did the governor ask you to introduce the bill? No, the governor did not. What chances do you think the bill has? Well, I introduced uh, a similar bill, of course, way back in the early 50s when I was here, and it uh, received almost enough to pass. That's the voice of State Senator Q. Byram Hurst of Hot Springs. You also talked to his Q son, Q. Byram Hurst Jr. Yes, and he's a prominent attorney in, in Hot Springs, uh, former president of the Arkansas Trial Lawyers Association, and he remembers those days really, really well. You know, his father was backing legalized gambling, and I talked to him last week. And he told me why he was doing it. Historically, Hot Springs had had casino gambling off and on uh, since since uh, really into the 1800s. And, and so uh, the impact of that was that many, many families depended on uh, that type of industry for uh, their, their, their family income. So many, many 
many of the children that I went to school with, their fathers and mothers worked in the casinos in some capacity. And so this was a real concern when uh, it would be like shutting down a plant that uh, employed thousands of people. David Hill, you know, mentions Hearst Sr. a lot in his book, and I ask him about Hearst. You know, Hearst was somebody who had, uh, I guess, a reputation among folks as someone who you could work with to color outside the lines, maybe. Um But having said all that, you know, I think what I would say about him is that his goal in all of this at all times was to try to figure out how to keep the gambling business alive in Hot Springs. And that was a really difficult dance that these guys had to do over decades. It required so much political wheeling and dealing. It required so many um, people to be paid off, people that had to, you know, be corralled in relationships with organized crime figures. And Hearst was a, one of a number of people, including Dane Harris, who were leaders on Hot Springs, who realized this isn't the ideal way that, that we should be running our city. We should just legalize this business that is our core industry, and then we wouldn't have to run around and color outside the lines like this. So let's get back to the bill. It yeah. was Senate Bill 391, and it was introduced in this, that 67 legislative session, and boy, it was heavily debated, as you can imagine, in both the House and the Senate. So here's a round from the House floor in 67. Now, this is a crime commission, a crime commission for one city, Hot Springs, Arkansas. Why doesn't it cover the state? We've done everything we did for everybody. We ask you at this time to let us end this problem that we've had in the hot springs. When we have gambling, legal or illegal gangsters come in and we have, we have gangster uh, control with all of its evils and that includes corruption of our state enforcement officers, corruption in, through the structure of our government. We have got to be guided by the majority opinion and the majority desire of the people in the area that's affected by this bill. And the majority of those people over there want this bill. The people of this state, I mean all the people of this state, said we do not, absolutely do not, unequivocally do not want gambling in Hot Springs and in Garland County. All right, so Hearst is obviously he he supports it. He he's working to get it passed in both chambers. Right, and he had a very interesting style. He would not get out on the floor and make these you know barnstorming, barn burning you know speeches. He would quietly work you know the room basically, mm-hmm. uh, or the chamber, or however mm-hmm. you want to put right. it. Both sides. He. He would he would quietly get people on his side, and part of that was that he says he had a meeting with Rockefeller, and Rockefeller told him that he'd let it pass. He wouldn't sign it, mm. uh, but he wouldn't veto it. But he wouldn't veto it, and he'd let it just sit on his desk. One of the one of the state senators who backed him strongly was Oscar Allegood, and this is what he had to say and. He got through all this, and it passed. And uh, so this is after it had passed and been sent to Rockefeller's desk, and, and this is what Oscar Allegood had to say. Well, B.J., once again, I find myself, and very pleasurably so, in the position of offering congratulations to the director of the state police. In this uh, instance, Colonel Lynn Davis, who has said, has been quoted the last few days as saying that the backbone of gambling has been broken in Arkansas. I find myself in the same position of offering congratulations to Colonel Herman Lindsay, who said several months ago that illegal gambling had ceased to exist in Arkansas. I would like not to take anything away from Colonel Davis, who is doing his job admirably as a public servant, but to say at the same time that the credit for this does belong to the 1967 legislature, because it was through the actions in supporting Senate Bill 391 by various members of the legislature that this came to fore. If you will recall at the time, I made the statement at the time that Senate Bill 391 was introduced, that uh, one of two courses of action was available to the governor. 
That is, if he vetoed Senate Bill 391, this meant that he was forever and unequivocally opposed to legalized gambling or any form of gambling in the state of Arkansas, and he would take every means at his disposal to wipe it out. If, however, he approved the bill, this meant that he would like to have legalized gambling in the state of Arkansas to control it, uh, control a situation that had been going on flagrantly and illegally for years, and uh, besides might add much needed revenue to the state. Let's move uh, this story because it gets interesting. Well, because Hearst says he has this meeting with Rockefeller, but Pitcock talked to him again, and this is what Rockefeller was saying publicly about the issue. Uh, the people of the state of Arkansas voted two to one against legalized gambling in 1964. And I believe if this is passed, and I have questioned the constitutionality of this bill, if it's passed, I think that there ought to be an initiated act where the people of the state have a chance to express themselves. Interestingly, when you talked to Q. Byram Hurst Jr., right. you asked him about this whole deal non-deal. Yes. And, you know, he basically was telling me that Rockefeller stabbed his father in the back. My dad told me that uh, during the conference, Rockefeller told him that he thought from a political standpoint that he could not sign that legislation if it passed, but that if it did pass, he would put it in his drawer and it would become law as a result of his failure to veto it. He did it anyway, and of course, uh, that was the the, the, you know, the the big controversy. When it passed, I'll never forget when it passed. I guess I was probably a senior in high school, and uh, throughout town, as people would drive through town, when they announced that it had passed, and they would be honking their horns and you know yelling to each other about how happy they were, and you know things were really really uh, optimistic. And, uh, of course, when it got vetoed, it uh, it crushed a lot of people. And then it becomes <laughs> really uh, dramatic and public. Well, yeah, showy. Yes, uh, showy. You know, Rockefeller sent in the state police, and they, I mean, put on a show. And Prior Center has the film of this. You can go to our website, the KTV section, and just Google or you search gambling and this will come up. The state police went in and put all the slot machines and gaming tables out in the field, took a sledgehammer to them and then poured gasoline all over them and caught them on fire. It's a great, great film. Yes. But it was a, a big showy response to, uh, you know, Rockefeller opposing, right. You know, any kind of gambling right. in, in hot springs. So, Let's just kind of go back and look at Hearst Jr.'s childhood, and he talks about what it was like growing up in a city with widespread gambling. You know, one of the things you have to remember when they had wide-open gambling here, lots of stars coming in to play at the clubs and uh, people coming in to be entertained, they had almost no crime in the city other than the illegal gambling because— uh, you know, one of the things they had to do was to keep keep all of the publicity as low as possible. And if if there was any crime, they tried to terminate it immediately, uh, make an arrest, make a because they couldn't afford for anybody to say, you know, they got assaulted at a club or they got this or that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so you know, it was a weird time. It was really a time when you were growing up that you saw almost no crime at all. Uh, because they were policing it so hard, everything but the gambling, because they wanted that that uh, industry to thrive. You mentioned a name mm-hmm. earlier, Oni Madden, and all I'm going to say is he was a New York mob family leader. I mean, you know, a mobster, and he came down to Hot Springs in the '30s and be- lived there for the rest of his life. So. That has a whole nother story that's intertwined with all this, because he died in 65, I believe. But why don't we do him next week? I'm all How does that sound? That sounds great. All right, so Oni Madden next week. You got it. And how he ties into the fabric of Hot Springs history and 
his and, and all the gambling that went on there and life in the spa city. All right. Randy Dixon is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Like you said, you can see these great videos and great interviews. Just put Pryor Center into a um, search engine. And, and it, it pops yeah. up there. And um, did, did you like that FBI film? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. So let's close out with that so all the crime stoppers can, uh, <laughs> can learn about. We'll, we'll just hear the very end of this uh, film and uh, <laughs> thank you, Randy. see where it goes. You must be informed on the major types of illegal gambling, their MOs, and the applicable gambling statutes in your jurisdiction. You must be trained in effective techniques to discover the illegal gambling operation through informants, observation, and investigation. To follow the operation as close to the top as possible. To plan the arrests so as to acquire and preserve the necessary evidence for conviction. This is Ozarks at Large. Cycling enthusiasts are working to make mountain biking a big lure to draw visitors to northwest Arkansas with the Oz brand. Now swimmers are continuing their efforts towards a similar approach. The Walmart Oz Mile Swim will be an open water competition in Beaver Lake next month. Last year's swim brought about 60 athletes into the water. Organizers expect 300 swimmers this autumn. The Walmart Oz Mile Swim has been fashioned after the Midmar Mile in South Africa, and they have a partnership. And that partnership means the fastest female and male swimmers from the Walmart Oz Mile Swim will be offered the opportunity to participate in the February 2023 Midmar Mile. Walmart Oz Mile Swim will consist of four distinct waves of competition with awards for first, second, and third in each race. Male and female overall winners will be crowned as well. The Black Action Collective is seeking proposals for its 2022 Unite Against Racism conference in October. The theme is Creating a Culture of Belonging. Closing the Disparities in Our Community. The collective is seeking proposals that incorporate interactive activities for engaging presentations with subject matter experts on race, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Presentations may include speaker presentations with Q&A, a panel discussion with question and answer period, case studies, experimental learning activities, and more. Proposals are due by August 12th. More information can be found at BACNWA.org. And the 70th annual Cherokee National Holiday returns to an in-person event in and around Tahlequah Labor Day weekend. That's from Thursday, September 1st through Sunday, September 4th. The Cherokee National Holiday will also continue to provide a number of virtual elements so Cherokee citizens who cannot attend the in-person activities can participate in the celebration online at CherokeeHoliday.com. For people at the celebration, there will be a fishing tournament an interesting tribal powwow, and traditional games. The Cherokee National Holiday commemorates the signing of the Cherokee Nation Constitution in 1839, which reestablished the tribe's government in Indian Territory after forced removal from the Cherokee's original homelands in the southeast. A full schedule of activities and more details can be found at the Facebook page for Cherokee National Holiday. Scott Family Amazium in Bentonville offers playful exploration of the arts and sciences with new experiences and activities popping up daily for kids and families to enjoy all summer long. The Amazium is open every day except Tuesdays. Amazium.org to discover more. The Arkansas Times and the Arkansas Cannabis Industry Association present the Medical Marijuana Health Expo Saturday, August 27th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Northwest Arkansas Convention Center in Rogers. Medical professionals, pharmacists, and local bud tenders will lead seminars on treating a variety of symptoms with medical marijuana. Details and tickets available at centralarkansatickets.com. Thanks for being with us for this Monday edition of Ozarks at Large. The only Jewish studies program in the state of Arkansas is taught at the University of Arkansas. As Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports, the program's founding instructor, Jacob Adler, also teaches an immersive course on Jewish languages. 
Emeritus Rabbi Jacob Adler, who has a Ph.D. from Harvard University, has taught at the University of Arkansas for 38 years. He's an associate professor of philosophy in the Department of Philosophy in the Fulbright College of Arts and Sciences and a founding member of the Jewish Studies Program developed seven years ago and taught by an interdisciplinary team of instructors to an array of students with various aims. So a few people might want to become academicians, professors, and teach Jewish studies, uh, but mostly it's to become more familiar with an important part of Western culture and American culture. The Jewish Studies course, a minor program, introduces students to Jewish history and basic tenets of Judaism across European, Middle Eastern, and American Jewish traditions. There is contemporary Jewish thought and modern Jewish thought. Uh, modern is earlier than contemporary. Um, Jewish philosophy occasionally is, uh, comes in the list. Um, and there are other courses taught by other people and on a recurring basis, so not always all the time. Professor Adler also developed an introductory course to Jewish languages. What happened, I was teaching Jewish studies courses and I wanted to assign some reading. And I found the reading I wanted to assign had Hebrew words in Hebrew characters peppered throughout an English language essay. And I thought, no one's going to be able to read this. And I thought, well, someone who is minoring in Jewish studies might do well to get at least a minimal knowledge of these languages that they have to find in the middle of their reading assignments. So I designed the course. I think it's unique. I don't think anyone else anywhere has this. The Jewish Languages course covers key cultural areas. There's uh, Biblical Hebrew, uh, Aramaic, Yiddish, and Modern Hebrew. And Biblical and Modern Hebrew are so closely related, it's like learning Shakespearean English and 21st century English. It's not really two separate languages. And even Aramaic is very close to Hebrew. Um, it's like learning Spanish and Portuguese. And a lot of what you learn in Spanish passes over to Portuguese. A lot of the words are the same. So uh, Melech and Malka are king and queen in both Hebrew and Aramaic. The roots of verbs and most nouns in the Semitic languages are characterized as a sequence of consonants with added prefixes and suffixes to make different meanings. And that's really the core of how Semitic languages work. Um, and what's interesting, uh, and this bears on modern versus biblical Hebrew, uh, when people in Israel who speak modern Hebrew want to make up words for things that didn't exist until the 21st century or 20th century, uh, they usually use these roots. So uh, the word chishev means to calculate. And from this, we get the word machshev, which means computer. And uh, so chalaf means to change. Uh, mechlaf is a interchange on a freeway. So uh, that's how those languages work. Sometimes they don't, they don't take, sometimes they just use Western words. Uh, so uh, telephone is simply telephone. But, and this is great, uh, a cell phone uh, is telephone. Pele means miracle. And so telephone is, is a uh, cell phone. Hebrew and Aramaic use a 22-letter alphabet and you can teach someone to become a scribe in a very short time, but the writing system of Persian was much more complicated. And so it took a longer time. So Aramaic became the lingua franca. And when the Persian empire included the land of Israel, the language there changed from Hebrew to Aramaic. And that's why uh, the few words attributed to Jesus are in Aramaic. On the cross, he said, uh, Elahi, Elahi, Lamash Vakhtani, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is Aramaic. Adler says occasionally students who are Christians take the course to learn basic Aramaic and Hebrew to obtain deeper insight into the scriptures. I should mention Yiddish is uh, the outlier. Uh, Yiddish is not a Semitic language. It's written in the Hebrew alphabet the writing system is totally different, and it's a Germanic language. It's much, it's related to English. Um, so uh, your English language really helps you a lot with learning Yiddish. Yiddish emerged from Central Europe around the 9th century. 
Today, a quarter million Yiddish speakers reside in the U.S. And certain Yiddish terms persist in American vernacular, like nosh, schlep, klutz, oy vey, schmooze, and mensch. That's a person in good standing. And Professor Adler says students who sign up for his class will learn an ancient Aramaic song. A drinking song. The tune is not 1,500 years old, but the words are uh, from the Talmud. Uh, in Aramaic, Chayavinish levasome levasome before Aya Chayavinish levasome levasome before Aya Adelayada 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 Adelayada. The translation literally means getting sloshed, or a more mystical translation means all things happen by divine decree. The Jewish Studies Program at the University of Arkansas is supported in part by the Jewish Federation of Arkansas. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Benville voters approved an extension of a one-cent sales tax in April 2021. Mayor Stephanie Orman will host a Tuesday morning meeting with an update about the projects that are being funded by that extension of the sales tax. This will take place August 16th. It's next in the series of virtual Coffee with the Mayor sessions. Seven projects to be funded by that sales tax, including improvements to streets and drainage, parks and recreation, Bentonville Public Library, and public safety radio communication systems will be discussed. Registration is required for the virtual meeting that begins at 8 a.m. Tuesday the 16th. More information at Bentonville. AR.com. There will be time for a question and answer period with the mayor after the presentation. Hello. I got to witness a bit of KUAF's beginnings. In 1984, I took the video production workshops that were offered at Fayetteville Open Channel, which at that time was located on Dixon Street, where Amelia's Restaurant is now. I guess Rick Stockdale was on Open Channel's board, and he got to know the office manager, P.J. Rabowski. Well, Rick hired P.J. to help him at his new radio project, where P.J. thrived. She hosted classical music programming and was one of KUAF's early, important, and distinctive voices. Worked out okay for me, too, because Michael Barr hired me as PJ's replacement. <laughs> this is Nisi Nemec, and I listen to KUAF 91.3 FM. This is Ozarks at Large. Tomorrow on our show, Arkansas's senior senator explains why he thinks agriculture and cryptocurrency are connected. Most people feel like uh, the industry, and then most people that, that look at this seriously outside of the industry, feel like the crypto world is more of a commodity than it is a security. So the Securities Exchange Commission regulates securities, and then the Commodities Futures uh, regulates commodities. Senator John Bozeman and cryptocurrency on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. And when you'd like to spend time with us by using the Ozarks at Large podcast, that podcast is free, and you can find it wherever you already find your podcasts. Work continues on the Johnny Cash statue that will be one of two new statues representing the state of Arkansas and the United States Capitol. Michael Hiblin, with our partner station KUAR in Little Rock, has been following the process, and he recently met with the sculptor and an interested Johnny Cash admirer. We're waiting now for Governor Asa Hutchinson to come in to get uh, his first look at the full-size clay model. And I see you have added the guitar since yes. I last spoke with you. Right, so the uh, foundry you know, has milled out the body and now the neck. So I just received the neck yesterday of the guitar. And so actually the governor's gonna be one of the first people to see it with the guitar on. I haven't blinged out the details of the guitar yet, but you get a good idea of uh, where it's all going now. And tell me about the process there, gleaned out the details. I noticed last week you pointed out a uh, trash container where there were just all these clay <laughs> shavings. Tell me about the process as you work here on the, the model. So the nice thing about technology now is that uh, the enlargement is done, is milled out of foam. So that gives me a lot of flexibility uh, with the armature. So uh, the same now is true with the guitar. Um, now, since it's just a guitar, it's pretty simple. But still, I'm going to have to put the bridge on, the uh, guitar pick, uh, the little details that go all the way around, uh, some of the details on the frets, and, you know, and so on and so forth. 
So that's, that'll be coming. Yes, the overall process, like I said, when they mill it out of foam in the enlargement, it's just, um, it's a different animal when you see it in eight feet tall as opposed to having worked on it three feet tall. Mm -hmm. And so you just see it as a completely different sculpture. And so there's some addition, there's some subtraction, and just once again seeing it as its own piece as opposed to I'm just enlarging my three foot version and I'm done. It's not like that at all. Yeah, right down the guitar, it's uh, not a lot of details here, kind of a blank canvas almost, <laughs> if you will. So yeah. you, you'll work in details, the frets, everything. Sure. Exactly. It's looking a little homemade right now, but uh, yeah. <laughs> No, we'll by the end it will be the Martin, Martin that, that Johnny always the, the D35. See, the D35. Like, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you have to know these things. 99.9 percent .9 of the people would not know, but yeah. that other ones they're going. That's not a Martin D35. <laughs> so uh, yeah, you have to make sure you get it right. <laughs> then Governor Hutchinson arrived. He walked slowly around the eight-foot statue of Cash, taking in every detail. His exact words, oh man, you got his face. Totally. That is so impressive. End quote. Hutchinson led the push for lawmakers to replace the state's current statues, which are more than a century old, and feature attorney Uriah Rose and former governor and U.S. Senator James Clark. What do you think about uh, working on something that's going to be in our nation's capital, representing our state? <laughs> Sometimes it's too big to actually wrap my head around or to think about, because I think then I'll freeze. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't tell you what it means to me, just in the sense of I've taken Arkansans, but other people through our nation's capital, and. I showed them our historical figures and nobody identified with them. Right. You know, and so now to be able to go there and say Johnny Cash uh, from Arkansas and he represents our music heritage, he represents uh, the struggles that we had as a state right. uh, back in the uh, 30s with his parents there mm -hmm. and, uh, and then, you know, his music came out of the soil of Arkansas. I mean, he, he represents uh, our history, our culture in so many different ways, and I'm really glad that, uh, you know, with his singing and uh, the Bible is part of his faith. So this means a lot to the state of Arkansas. After meeting with Kevin Cressy, I asked Governor Hutchinson for his first impression. Well, first thing, it strikes you as uh, that it's an enormous project. It's tall. Uh, a little bit taller than uh, life size, and I think that uh, sends a will be a powerful presence in the uh, nation's capital. Uh, secondly, uh, of course, the fact that he has his head bowed just a little bit strikes you, and I think it goes to uh, his humbleness and how uh, he had a tough life himself, even though he was a star, but he identified with those people who struggled in life. And I think that's why he had such a following and continues uh, that uh, today, uh, the incredible people that uh, love his music and, and uh, respect his life. Uh, and then, of course, it's the, uh, you know, it's the boots. It's clearly uh, the man in black. It is the guitar over his back. The uh, Bible in his hand. Uh, the Bible in his hand, of course, is probably the most striking uh, because, you know, when he goes into concert, he's not carrying the Bible. Uh, but uh, it reflects his life and, uh, you know, the gospel songs that he grew up with that was a big part of his uh, music heritage. And, of course, that means a lot to me because I grew up in a small church that had the gospel hymns and, uh, and actually uh, probably in some ways similar to uh, his upbringing in, in, the, in the church. So that speaks well. And you know, in this day and time, uh, I think that's uh, refreshing to be able to uh, have uh, that representation of faith in our nation's capital. I don't think Johnny Cash and Daisy Bates could have gotten through the legislature without your strong support. Well, uh, I hope I did help, but it was time for a change. And 
it was a joy. Uh, and I know there's uh, Senator Hester and others worked so hard on this. So it was a team effort. Uh, but to be able to see this coming to fruition is very, very rewarding. As I mentioned, uh, you know, when I take tours through the uh, Capitol, uh, I want with great pride to showcase someone who represents the culture of our state. Uh, Daisy Getson Bates obviously is a civil rights icon, is such a great representative for Arkansas, uh, both the struggles of the past but our hopes for the future. But Johnny Cash brings a little bit lighter tone to it in some ways, but it also reflects the seriousness of life, the struggles of life. And so there's a little commonality between uh, these uh, two historic figures that will be representing Arkansas. It'll be a, you can tell a story about Arkansas through each of these figures that will be meaningful to the people that visit the Capitol. Have you gotten any word whether or not we can have an unveiling, as you had said you hoped, before you leave office? Well, uh, that remains to be seen. We're going to work very hard on that. Uh, might have to make a few calls up to Washington for the uh, final clearances, but we want to see that happen. But whenever it happens, uh, I want to be there. Do you have a favorite Giant Cash song? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, there's uh, so many of them, but, of course, uh, uh, a boy named Sue has to be one of the all-time classics, uh, and it brings such a, a sense of uh, humor about it as well. Uh, and so I've got I've got him on my iPad. I listen to Johnny Cash and his whole uh, host of uh, songs that he sings. So uh, that's one. But you know I like uh, uh, you know the one where he's coming down uh, south on the train and uh, getting I close. Hear the train a coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and then there's uh, three feet high and rising. Yeah. Uh, that is really because it tells the story of the great flood and the struggles of flooding in Arkansas. So, and that that's, brings a little bit more drama and emotion to it. That's one of my favorites. Yeah, that one, he, there's a great live version where he talks about the levee in Wilson, Arkansas broke and his family there in Dias saw the black muddy Mississippi rise up over his um, farmland. Oh, he tells the story in person and then in song as well. And you can envision it three feet high and rising. Yeah. <laughs> Governor Asa Hutchinson, thank you, sir. Thank you. And one of the things I remember most when I was a little boy was one night, one cold winter night, the rain had been falling. The river kept rising and all, all the old folks kept saying that that Mississippi River's gonna break that levee. One morning the wet levee broke at Wilson, Arkansas and that black muddy Mississippi River water come right up over the cotton patch right up to the front door of our house. And I heard my daddy hollering and asked my mama, how high is the water, Mama? Two feet high and rise. How high is the water, Papa? She said it's two feet high and rise. We can make it to the road in a homemade boat. That's the only thing we got left that'll float. It's already over all the wheat and oats. Two feet high and rising. In Little Rock, I'm Michael Heplin. Thank you so much, Michael, for that story. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Rogers and Osage. 91.3 KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. We have been your public radio station since 1985. Thanks for your continued attention and your continued support. Contributors to Ozarks at Large this Monday included Matthew Moore, Jacqueline Froelich, Michael Hiblin, and Randy Dixon. Our theme is titled First to Raw. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. The Community Engagement Officer at KUAF is Jasper Logan. We do return tomorrow at noon and 7 with a brand new Tuesday edition of Ozarks at Large. We've got brand new shows all the rest of this week. Thanks so much for being with us from the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio in the Carver Center for Public Radio in downtown Fayetteville. I'm Kyle Kellums. Please get rest when you can. We'll talk again soon.